Hello and welcome to the Union Podcast. This is Brian Pugh and I am co-founder of the Union alongside my wife, Bonnie, and we are just passionate about God's design for sexuality, identity, relationships, marriage, and really just really just believe that the Bible brings so much clarity to these areas. And so this is why this podcast exists. If if you've never been to this podcast before, you've never checked this out, we are so glad you've joined us. If you are a return listener, we'd love it if you would share this and comment, subscribe, all those things just helps us to be seen by more and more people. Uh, today is actually part two. In this episode, we're going to sit down again with uh, Jim Anderson and talk a little bit more um, about about the realities of parenting and how the revelation of the heart of the Father uh, can bring healing to so many so many people's lives. But the re- the reality of the heart of the Father being expressed through our parenting can raise up kids that passionately uh, follow after Jesus, um, even though you might have areas of weakness, of course, like everybody else as a parent. Um, but you can uh, you can Im- impart a reality that keeps uh, the hearts of kids uh, as they grow up focused on the Lord and thriving and growing. So this is such a great conversation, and uh, I know you're not going to regret it. No, I know you're going to love listening to it. So here we are. We'll pick it up with myself and Bonnie with Jim Anderson. You're listening to The Union Podcast. The Union exists to bring biblical confidence and clarity to the topics of relationships and sexuality. On this podcast, we unpack the damaging effects of modern sex culture and discuss how to heal from the past and enrich your relationships. Here are your hosts, Brian and Bonnie Pugh. All right, here we are. We're back for part two with Jim Anderson. Jim, thanks so much for joining us here again. Here I am joining you again. <laughs> just like yesterday, you know. Just like yesterday, yeah. We've been joining each other for a long time. This is just... That's for sure. That's for sure. And when did I know, first when did I first meet you? Better tell everybody when I first met you, how old you, you were and how old Bonnie was. Well, you first met me it was 2004, and I was like, I had just come to Christ in like the last couple of years. At that point, it was part of a discipleship school. And uh, the first time I met Jim, it was my job to take care of him at the youth as the guest speaker. At the, at the guest as a guest speaker at the youth gathering at our church. And I asked him, "Hey, is there anything I can do for you?" And he looks at me and he says, "Yeah, if you could end ab- if you could end abortion, that'd be great." And I'm like, uh, most people just say like hey yeah i'll get a bottle of water <laughs> you know what i mean so this is going to be a different type yeah, of situation jim is not your um your average guy yeah if you could you could get rid of pornography on the internet too that'd be that'd be really great i'm like ah yeah i'll get started on that uh how about a water yeah can we do that <laughs> so but anyway so that was 2004 and then um yeah it i been met the, i met jim previously probably when I was probably 15. So that would have been like 2002, 2001. Yeah. Yeah. Around there. You're 15. My gosh. Yeah. And I remember, I don't remember the whole sermon, but I remember you saying, uh, and it was very significant to me at that time, you know, growing up in the church, but feeling the pressure, like even just from culture to be sexualized. Mm-hmm. And so I remember you saying from the stage, I remember where I was standing just saying like young women you are free to be a sister and a daughter and you you only have to like open up that area of sexual like your sexuality to one man and and be a woman to one man other than that you can be a sister or a daughter or a mother and i was like oh my gosh just so much pressure yeah Yeah. relief 
freedom. And, and since then I've just, you know, yeah, tried to just operate in that and it's protected so many of friendships. So that's like true women's liberation, isn't it? There it is. Yeah. (coughs) The women's lib movement. (laughs) Yeah. Right there. The kingdom, the kingdom women's lib movement. Yeah. That's right. Well, you know, obviously we've had, you know, years of relationship and you've been such an encouragement to us. And for those who haven't listened, like a lot of um, our motivation and really the the heart that we have behind the union is because of Jim's influence and, and what God's, the message that God's put in Jim's heart. And if you didn't catch our last episode, we talked about um, really the, how his ministry came about and how God really put a, a burden in his heart to be, to be a father, to speak to a broken generation um, that's caught up in sexual sexuality. And so I encourage you to go back and um, check out that first episode. If you haven't heard it, um, it'd be really encouraging, really impactful stories. He shares just about the journey of his, of his, um, of his ministry. But today we wanted to talk about the family dynamics um, of, of his family, because, you know, Jim's going to tell you, he's got um, a whole it's nine, nine kids, eight kids, eight kids, eight kids. I get it wrong every time. I know them all, yet I still say nine <laughs> kids. It's eight kids, um, two boys and six daughters. And, um, and what's amazing, we were just talking before we started that they are all uh, serving God in some, um, some way, shape or form all over the U.S. And, um, and we just love to just hear your heart on, on, on that and how you guys walked through raising up all those kids to serve God passionately. So, because I would say that they're not just like, they're not just like serving God as in they don't just like volunteer for nursery duty. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Or like they, which is great. We need people doing those types of tasks. It's not, they're just not task people. They are beautiful, vibrant, like, um, I can just like feel when I'm with them. I haven't, I haven't met all of them almost, but I can feel their desire for the Lord, yeah. their connection to the Lord and their desire to help people, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a beautiful thing. And yeah. I think, I mean, if I can say this over the years, something that you do, Jim, is when you would be in a classroom setting and introducing yourself, you, it was like an extension of introducing yourself was needing to introduce your children. Yeah. Like you, you had to talk about them because they were so deeply a part of your heart. And I love, yeah. I've loved that. And I've actually seen a young generation be in the room where you, you're, you know, talking about, <clears throat> you know, the daughter who's a fashion designer or the daughter who's a, who plays piano or the, the son who plays drums and skateboards. And as you talk about them, it's like, it heals something in them because they realize yeah. like, this is what God's heart to me is like, would be like delighting in who, mm-hmm. in who I am and my uniqueness anyways. So, right. So we want to just have a conversation yeah. around just set the stage there. So <laughs> generations. Yeah. 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 I miss so- being able to do that. Um, because I, uh, it takes a lot of time to do that. Yeah. <laughs> when you got eight, yes. And I think, you know, like part of it is we're in a rush. I guess this is, I feel like mm-hmm. the Lord's introducing it, but, you know, the discipleship schools take time. It's a lot, it's labor intensive and it's not numbers. And, and it can become, you know, it can get tilted toward legalism. But having said all that, I think, I think we're missing something when we don't take time. And I, I miss a, the classroom where you have lots of time to do, mm-hmm. to talk about those kind of things. Cause I, cause I can't adequately 
even begin to talk about my kids in an hour sermon. Oh, for you real. Know, I mean, and so what you're describing, Bonnie, I remember that. And I get even kind of emotional thinking about the joy of sharing my family with all the different students over the years and kind of bragging about them. It wasn't like bragging about them. Like, uh, I'm trying to think why I even talked about them. You know, it wasn't like, look at me. I'm this really great parent. Yeah. It was, uh, I'm raising up my kids yeah. for the Lord. Uh, we have a kingdom of God family. Um, this is, you know, the fruit of what God wants. I yeah. mean, he wants, he wants to take that young man and that young woman and put them together for God's kingdom and to raise up a family. I mean, if we, and I think our pastor, this is where it started, you know, uh, my former pastor at the church we were part of for 21 years, he was preaching a sermon. And uh, while he was preaching a sermon, the Lord interrupted him. The sermon wasn't even on what he interrupted him about, but he was preaching a sermon. And he saw a lot of the kids in the church, the, the kids of his elders, the kids of his leaders, the kids of the, some of the staff, not all of them, but they were kind of sitting in the back row. They were, they were a little more disconnected than they should be. You know, they were passing notes and kind of putting their time right. in church because that's what you do. That's what you do. Yeah, and the Lord said, if you lose this yep. generation, you lose everything you're doing. Everything you work for is gone in one generation. And it wow. it, it haunted him. It struck him. Wow. And the, ne the next week, that week, he roped off the two front rows of the church and said, this is for the next generation. And he had him sit there. And he began to speak to him every every message, every service. He began to say, you are world changers. You're going to change the world. God has a plan for you, a destiny for you. Wow. And there's a war over your soul. I mean, all the stuff that mm -hmm. was really happening, he began to address. And we know the war over their soul. Yeah. You know, the joke yeah. is you go to the youth pastor. I go, youth pastor, are you dealing with sin? And you're dealing with sin in the youth group, aren't you? And he goes, yeah. Yeah, I go, I know, I know what that is. He looks at me, he goes, really? I go, yeah, I know what it is. Bank robbing. There's just a lot of bank robbing going on. There's temptation to bank rob all the time. And then the youth pastor looks at me and goes, not that much. Yeah. Not that much. And it's sex. You know, I mean, the joke is like, where's the warfare over that is, yeah. generation? What's the destiny destroyer? Is the derailment from relationships or emotional infatuation getting connected having all your energies go to some other person when you're young you can't even get married then you know just this version that leads you know god forbid yeah. into the immersion of sexual physical you know it starts it starts innocent it's beautiful it's yes. part of what god made but to steward that and train young people to understand that time and to not shame people for attraction not make being attracted to the opposite sex criminal criminal activity but but to frame it and to give them a right. context Absolutely. for it and understand god's bigger picture so you know that's we had our pastor doing that and then we know that the war over generation is 
largely, you know, any young person that's in the church that suddenly is kind of out of the church and struggling with that, they don't go off and rob a bank. They follow morally. They follow morally. You just trace it right away. He or she has got a girlfriend and they're kind of doing stuff they shouldn't be or they're, or they moved in. Somebody, you know, a young adult is discouraged and they move in or they hook up with somebody and, and it's the first thing that goes. Yeah. So it's, it's really the, the target area of the enemy going after the generations. For sure. For sure. Now, one of the things that we, you know, I've heard you say so many times is like often in the church, we can think that it's never been like this before. You know what I mean? And, you know, you tell like this kind of, kind of sarcastic joke about going to the, uh, going to the grocery store and a point, guy comes yeah. back and point like, Dexter. Oh, what's, what's wrong? Point sweetheart? Dexter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. You want me? <laughs> yeah. He comes back from the grocery store and he's, he's all flustered because he's, you know, he's seen all the sexuality on all the magazines and, and he's saying, you know, it's never been like this before. It's never been like this before, but you're, what you come and say, it's like, well, here's the reality. It's actually always been like this. Yeah, that's right. There's always been this push towards um, sexuality uh, the to, to distract and to destroy people to get it out of God's context and to, to lure people out of God's purposes and plan for their life. Now, why, like when people hear that, it's always been like this. Why, why would you say it's always, well, I mean, been, you look, it's always been like this. I mean, you look at the garden, you look at you, from the very beginning. I mean, there's this, there's God's boundary, his beautiful plan for life in all its fullness. And then there's the enemy saying, Oh, the yeah. boundaries and the system, the, the paradigm that God set up is uh, is not really for your interest. God, God is a cosmic killjoy. His character is to be questioned. He's trying to take away fun and excitement from your life and whatever. An attack on his character. Instead of a loving father, he's a cosmic killjoy. It's an attack. You attack yeah. God's character, then you attack Absolutely. God's law. You're attack, you're, you know, his law, his boundary is an extension of his character. You know, a loving parent that puts a fence up in a yard mm-hmm. where there's a busy street, you know, is a loving parent, not some limiting parent who's created a fence and the kids have to stay within the fence. Well, yeah, they stay in the fence. They don't get run over by cars. It's like the fence is an extension of the character of the parents who cares about it, their children, you know, and so it's it's like yeah. that with God. And so we have this, I think we have to see the larger picture of what's going on the battle we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but principalities and powers it's just not i mean it's and, and, and with young people it's always like it's it's it isn't about sex it isn't about morality it isn't about how far can i go it's about can i trust god with my future do you really do you really believe in a Absolutely. father that has his best interests for you and his his creation designed in such a way with his yeah enabling grace to, to 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 release a blessing in our lives in this really complicated area so it, this has been going on though for like how long has this been going on and in one quick look back to the old testament you have god's people and then you have the false gods you know the whole thing about going into the promised land mm-hmm. and there's other nations there that worship false gods baal asherah Moloch, these other kind of regional deities you know 
Dagon, you know, I mean, so, so you have the true God and then you have the false gods and you have how they were worshipped. So interesting that those gods were gods of fertility and the way they were worshipped is that people would activate their own fertility, activate their own sexuality. And at the moment of the sexual climax, you became one with that God. You know, this very intense connection to a false God mm. uh, through sexuality. I go, well, wake up and smell the roses. That's what was going on in the Old Testament. And it's, you know, it's, it's we aren't used to hearing that high places, yeah. Baal, Asherah, the false gods, the prophets For warning sure. them, you know, and so their worship was, you know, sexual immorality and temple prostitution and child sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood and you know, all this kind of, it's kind of complicated and mm-hmm. gee, that's, that's too much detail for me, Pastor Jim, you know, but that's really, that was the scenario <laughs> back then in the Old Testament. And if you were, if Israel, God's people right. were faithful to God, then they were married to God. They were like God's bride, which is like the New Testament paradigm, the bride of Christ for Jesus and the bride of Christ. But if Israel was not mm-hmm. faithful to God, she became the harlot. She was the unfaithful woman who had other lovers right mm. so you have all this symbolism and you have right, the reality right. of that and you have literally god's people committing sexual immorality in terms of worshiping these gods in a, in a system that was encouraged culturally and even the sacrifice of their children their own children killed i mean mm. literally right. mm-hmm. i mean like this is hard yeah. to imagine it's hard to even and so that was the Old Testament. The new you fast forward several thousand years to the New Testament, and you have another culture, you know, the, the Greek and Roman world with all the sexuality, and we see in Acts a specific uh, one of the deities is Diana or Artemis, and the same again, the same kind of thing. A mm-hmm. thousand temple t- there's a thousand temple prostitutes in Corinth and a thousand temple prostitutes in Ephesus to this goddess Diana in the Greek and the Greek and Roman world. So, I mean, it's so in the same thing again, you know, it's sexual immorality and child abandonment. So today, I think today, let's fast forward to today. You have the same spirit, the same spirit without the names, not Baal, not Asherah, not Moloch, not Diana, not Artemis, you know, the same spirit, though, the same false god of sexuality embodied in maybe not a person, like a deity, but the same spirit luring people into the worship of this experience, making relationship with the opposite sex or a sexual experience the highest thing that you can live for. And it's the greatest thing you can experience. And it's supposed to fill you up. And man, when you're done, you're supposed to be going, wow, that was so awesome. And yes, it's intense. There is some pleasure to sexual encounter, but the, uh, the brokenness that follows that sexual experience when it's outside of God's covenant is pretty profound. And you, you got young people mm-hmm. absolutely, who out of their own words are saying, I'm living everything. I'm doing everything the culture told me to do. 
I'm going to the dance clubs, the party, I'm hooking up, hanging out, you know, whatever. And there's still an emptiness in me. And the relational fallout from the, the entanglement and the betrayal and the sense of being used or the sense of being unfulfilled or confronting my own selfishness if I'm a man, the sense of being used if I'm a young woman right. is, is that goes along with this violation of the Lord's beautiful boundary around sexuality leaves people really, really broken and really questioning is this really all there is? I'm living on the top rung. I'm doing everything I'm told to do. And this is rather disappointing. I think there's a lot of angst about the unfulfilled promises of the sexual yeah. revolution. The, the revolution promised us all these things. And there's a lot of angst around the unfulfilled promises of the sexual revolution that people are living, living totally. with right today. They're just... And it's, it is shame management yeah. on a large scale and brokenness, disappointment management, yeah, uh, shame management, disappointment management, depression management, uh, abuse, scars from abuse management. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And self-harm and, and kind of an endless list of other things too, you know. You know, Jim, like one of the things that you've, you know, you've developed or you've kind of, I think it's, I think it's always been God's heart, but one of the things you've discovered is probably a better word is like the original design statements for, for men and for women. And how, like, maybe you could unpack those, those statements, but also start to maybe show how you and Lisa began to communicate those things to your, to your kids. You know, some of our kids kind of, I think they might have grown up without the spirit of, or in the spirit of them mm -hmm. without those actually i think some of We're them were older at uh, some point but the spirit of them lived in our family because i knew maybe we should start with the three a's what i call the three a's instead it kind of grew into then sure yeah but the three A's were the, the, the three letters of the alphabet or the same letter A, but repeated uh, in terms of my interaction with my kids. And I remember interacting with my, I, I had this sense yeah. that I was this father and, and, and that what I would do with my children was so important in terms of creating their identity or affirming their identity, not just like sexual identity, but just... Mm -hmm probably more their confidence and because identity wasn't questioned as much then it wasn't like you had an option to not be a girl or a boy we're way back in the Absolutely. dark ages of the last century right we're in the 90s you know like whoa this yeah. is 30 years ago when they were growing up yeah and the rebellion and the it's not even the rebellion i think rebellion comes from pain isaiah 61 says i, I the, the, the spirit of the lord's upon me because he's a he's appointed he's anointing me to preach good news to the afflicted and to bind up the brokenhearted. I right, think, right. I really believe rebellion and this, this sense, I don't want God in my life. I don't want his boundaries. I don't want his law. I don't, I don't want anything. I've been hurt. I'm angry about my life. I'm angry with life. It's directed at God. It's directed at his limitations, you know, and I think, you know, we talked about Psalm two before the, you know, it says, why did the nations rage and the rulers of the earth? Yeah. And the, Kings take counsel 
against the Lord. Let us throw their cords. Let's cast their their bindings from us. You know, we're not going to be limited by any no. restrictions on our appetites. Is my trans translation of that. Right, right. But that's grown now to the point where God, not only can you, I'm not, I don't want you in my life telling me what to do. You don't even get to tell me who I am anymore. You don't even get to tell me whether I'm a woman or a man. You know, it's just, and it's mm. out of hurt though. It's out of hurt right. because it's pretty hard to want to be a woman. If some man violated yeah. you when you were five and you heard the footsteps down the hall and the door, bedroom door cracks open and it's going to be another night of this strange, horrible thing that happens to you. And it happens over and over. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be a woman. You really yeah. want to be yeah. a woman. You really see those sexual parts of your body as positive. No, they, it, it's all negative. It's all negative. It's like no an way. imprint from hell. Mm-hmm. fashioned and ordered by hell to, to do everything to assault who you are, your identity. So you hate yourself. You hate being a woman. You don't want to be a woman. So the new identity is, but that can happen. Uh, that happened. That was happening in the nineties too, though, because even without questioning your gender, the fact you were a woman and here's what's happening to women in our culture let's let's forget even the questioning of, of being a woman or a man but back then the same thing was happening the stereo the yeah self-hatred that comes from the sexualization of who i am yeah. and that if i'm a woman then i need to do things yeah. i don't want to do and become someone i don't want to be to try to get the love i know i want to have in my life or the in the same with men there's this there can be the same self-hatred yeah. you know of because of, again mask ma- the male sexuality is encouraged and that that's more of the spirit of a predator you know someone who's employing their male characteristics to conquer women and to score and to you know in the locker room talk yeah what did you do on your right. day with so-and-so well i got this far you know how far did you get that that, that kind of yeah, posting yeah. and that that measuring stick of this is what manhood is about is some sort of sexual experience with this gal. I don't really like right. her. She represents, I mean, I, I have emotion of se- no. psychosexual yeah. kind of emotional connection to her, but I don't like her as a person. I don't want to like sit and talk to her after I'm done being sexual with her. I only later when I'm ready for more sexual experience, will I want to call her up again. So that all that with men. Right, right. So that's that was the kind of backdrop of, and so on. Here I'm in the middle of the pro-life movement, and we're fighting for our you know, value of life. And but I'm, very slowly, my kids are growing up in this, and I'm seeing the, the the culture of sexuality, relationships, the dating culture, the emphasis on sexuality, the whole thing. And my my kids are growing up, and my girls are like, you know, they're eight and five and they they're feminine mm-hmm. but they're not sexual there's that formulative time in their life where they're female but they're not sexual they're female but they're not seductive they're not there's nothing in them they don't even really understand what they are they don't understand about their sexual body parts the, the upper part of their body has not even begun to develop at all. They have the they they have all their anatomy, but it hasn't. Mm-hmm. Puberty and 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 that kind of change hasn't happened. 
but their connection with me, I, I realized with my daughters, their connection with me is their connection with the first man in their life. And so I began to think, I need to create a bridge between my heart and their heart where, where I'm valuing them and j just spending time with them. I'm shouting at them. You're important. And, and it, it, here's what God wants to do. Yeah. Here's his maturation process is so interesting to me. He could have had people be sexually mature at three or, or right when they're born. But you have this whole period of time mm -hmm. where, mm -hmm. where a daughter and a son, they're male, but not sexual, and female, but not sexual. Where during that time, God wants their identity and their value, the sense of their value and importance yeah. to their parents. But, you know, primarily, I'm their mom and, or I'm their dad, and or Lisa and I, as mom and dad, are putting that into them. And affirming them every chance we get and affirming them as as a person, not even even in their sexuality so much, but just their personhood as related to their sexuality. So I'm I'm giving them the three A's, you know, but, Absolutely. but that takes place. This critical time is you're affirming them in their identity. When they're not sexual, when they're just when they're female or male, you know, I'll just stay with the girls for a while on this because mm. I'm, I'm going to confuse myself. But so I'm affirming my daughters when they're female, but they're not, <laughs> they're not sexual in that sense. They're, they're female and I'm affirming them so that later when that other part of their identity, when that sexual part of their identity begins to emerge, then they are, that's already, that's emerging mm -hmm. in their already established identity of personhood so it, so there's yeah, not a temptation absolutely. for that to become the most yeah. important part of their identity it's incorporated into their already existing yeah. identity that has been developed from the time they're born to the time when they enter that phase where their sexuality begins to emerge so you're incorporating it into their already established identity so it so the temptation for that new part of their identity to become the most important part is diminished because if that if that new part of their identity yeah. becomes the most important part, then there's going to be a lot of destruction. There's going to be suddenly this young lady is sexualized yeah. and all yeah. these young men are drooling over her and around her. And she thinks, wow, I can, I love this feeling of, of like, I'm important. And because why, why do you love that? Because my dad mm -hmm. didn't spend any time with me. The first man in my life left a hole in my heart. He never filled my heart. So all that to say yeah. that then we want to. So I began to use the three A's and I, I heard a man teach it out of a uh, teaching about family or I read it out of a book. He talked about the three A's uh, affirmation, affection, and attention. Oh, it's like, well, give me something more complex, mm -hmm. Pastor Jim. Give me something like, I want something really challenging. Well, yeah, this is it. If dads did this with sons and daughters, our whole, yeah. everything about our culture, our nation, the future marriages yes. of these children that you're doing yeah. those three A's with, yeah. everything would change. Every Everything would change. Affirmation, affection, yeah. attention, words, touch and time 
words, touch, mm. and time. Words, non-sexual yeah. touch, and time. So I began to see, mm-hmm. and I, the other thing is I saw God looking over my shoulder because I had this generational revelation is that, that, the, 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 that my Christianity was not about me and my destiny. The thing that was so important to me, because I saw God looking over my shoulder, because one of the verses, life verses, was connected to revival. And, and, I, and I thought, it's Malachi mm-hmm. 4, 5, and 6. You know, it's, it's turning the heart of, of fathers to the children and the children to the father, lest I come and smite the land with a curse. And I thought, every time a dad turns his heart right. toward his children, God's reaching into the culture and pulling the curse off the land. And, you know, we have second mm. Chronicles, you know, we turn mm. from our wicked way and, and I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin and heal their land. So the land, the healing of the land, that the breaking of the curse off the land and all the sociological, the non-Christian sociological studies that talks about the absence of fathers and what it does to a culture. And, and I thought of the kingdom of God and the story of, of the kingdom of God is about a father and a son. It's not, it isn't about some mission. It isn't about some religious thing. It's a father and a son. It's, it's God, the father and Jesus. And, Mm. and it's just repeated. And he gives every man a chance to be a father of his, you know, really the the privilege of being a father with his own children. And, And I just, I just saw all this and that, that, that God was looking over my shoulder. And every time I was spending time with my kids, he was affirming me and he was saying, you're, it's revival. It's the kingdom of God. It wasn't some, oh, this is some thing I have to do. I really want to be studying so I can really wow everybody with my Greek and Hebrew next time I speak. You know, it really, I mean, <laughs> and I, I think I, I don't know if I told this story last time about Luke when he was young. And I want to, I want to just hit this really quick as, as I was, Russia had just opened to me and I was asked to go and speak about pro-life revival and sexuality and, and fathering and, you know, but, but Russia had opened and I thought, Oh man, I'm so excited. I'm going to learn Russian. I'm going to preach in Russian. And I bought my vocabulary cards and my Russian language course. And I'm down in the basement one Saturday morning and I'm, I'm going through the words and, and the Lord just sort of said, what are you doing? And I go, I'm, I'm going to preach in Russian. You open Russian to me. I'm so excited. And he goes, and he goes, put those stupid cards down and go upstairs and, and find your son and play catch with him. And I put the cards down and I went up to my then five or six year old son, Luke. And I played catch with him and I never picked those vocabulary cards up again. But I've been to Russia 40 mm. times the former Soviet Union. I've been to 50 cities and had 400 meetings and my materials are printed in Russian, the Russian language. And, mm-hmm. and God, God wow. said, you take care of what you can take care of. You steward what I've given you to steward and I'll take care of the stuff. I'll take care of Russia. And uh, the temptation wow. for kids to be left behind 
and in in the name of some sort of spirituality, in the name of some kind of false spirituality, right. really, uh, I knew that, and I, I just began to do that with all my kids. I just saw my identity as family and raising my children, and sp- and, and then speaking to them and and just spending time. The way you could do it, if we we're doing a video, I could hold up a baseball like I did with Luke, you know, I could hold a baseball up and say, what is this? You know, and people would say, well, it's a baseball. I go, no, it's a, it's, it's a high level weapon of spiritual warfare. Well, and they go, what? I go, I'm building bridges. I'm building bridges with baseballs. So the burden of the Lord can walk across this bridge at the right time. I'm connecting my heart to the heart of my son through a language and through experiences that only that really are appropriate for him because he doesn't have the spiritual capacity. He doesn't have the spiritual capacity to sit through an hour long Bible study or for me to have to make him memorize 15,000 verses when he's five years old. He might be able to do part of a verse and have five minutes at the dinner table with me, but he can do hours of baseball with me. And you know what? Every minute of that hour is building a bridge. It's strengthening the bridge between my heart and his heart where I value him and where we have a relationship and I become his hero. And he wants to be like me because I'm spending time with him. And then that baseball then is like high level spiritual warfare. It's, it's a, it's an instrument of high level spirit. It could be a Frisbee. It could be a soccer ball. It could be a basketball. It could be any escape, a skateboard. It could be anything. It's everything and anything building because by spending time, that's the last one attention. And while I'm building the baseball, I'm saying, Luke, that's really good. You, you, you're, you're really good at catching the baseball. I'm affirming him. And then when we get done with the baseball practice, I give him a hug. So I've done all three of those things. And that, and that baseball becomes this weapon of spiritual warfare with a girl. It's the same thing with the girls. You know I mean? Like, hmm. like I'm spending time with them and they would come and knock on my door outside my office door. They, they dress up like, like a princess, they put on an old wedding dress or a dress that mom, my grandmother used to have, and they would have high heels on and they would knock on the door. And I go, Oh, I bet I, I know there are princesses outside my door. You know, I know they're there and they would smile and then they would come in and they go, who is this? And then Maggie goes, dad, it's Maggie. I go, I thought it was princesses. I knew it was, you know, and we go through this little, really like a song and a dance like a little game, but I'm affirming them. And I'm saying, Maggie, you are so beautiful and so special. And there's so much purity on you and innocence that, oh, wow, this, everything you are. And they would just, it would literally, they would literally soak it up. They came to my office for the same reason a car goes into a gas station to get the fuel it has to have to function. And that's what I would do with the girls. And I would affirm them with words. And I would give them non-sexual touch. 
and attention. And then we might go from them being in my office to saying, wow. okay, let's go get an ice cream cone now. So I get the fight hell. Think about it. I get the fight hell. I mean, we're worried about the future of our children. I got something to tell. I want to remind every parent, every future parent, you can fight hell with a baseball or a soccer ball or a golf club or a frisbee or an ice cream. You can fight hell with an ice cream cone when you take your daughter for an ice cream cone because you're destroying the landing strip that the devil wants to have to her heart because you're filling your heart up. Come on. Yeah. You're filling your heart up so that there's not that emptiness. And when the devil comes along and says, Oh, you got to do this. You got to do that. You want to do this. And and then the boys will like you. It's kind of like your daughter goes, well, my heart's already full with my dad's love. Kind of like, you know, like when the guys go, Hey baby, yo, Mm -hmm. woo. Mm -hmm. They kind of look behind the, the girls look behind them and they go, are you talking <laughs> to me? Cause my heart's pretty full already. Like, you know, why didn't you get a life? I mean, but literally, I mean, they're literally, their heart yeah. is full and the temptation to be swept away by the attention of some confused young men that God loves. I'm not criminalizing young manhood. They're yes. Yeah. They have sure. their dad wasn't around to train him. That's the other part of it is my sons watched me. I build a bridge with baseballs and spend time with them, but they also are around all the time. I'm talking to their sisters. They're watching what I'm saying to their sisters. They're hearing what a man does with sisters and how a man treats a mother, a wife. And I'm, I'm imprinting on them just by time. It isn't even a classroom. It's like a life on life imprint on them and they're they're trained by watching that it's my presence it it is time with them and time in our family and having a family identity and this is what we do and i repeat it over and over again all the time right so i mean and it's so easy it's fun i mean it's I, that's the greatest thing. I miss my kids. I'm, I'm probably restless right now because that's your blessing. I mean, you never even have to ask God, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be doing right now? What am I supposed to be doing? Mm -hmm. Oh, we're not getting this done. No, you're getting it done. You're doing it now. You are raising your kids. Now you're raising your boys right now. You don't understand. And, you know, when it comes down to the blog, it's gonna, we, we're going to miss the deadline on the blog. It's kind of like, who cares? That's just incidental. That's secondary. Because you get to go shoot bow and arrows with the boys. You get to go find their bug collection. You get to go see that, that fort they made, Bonnie. You get to say, oh, you built such an awesome fort. That's so cool. You're going to be able to protect a lot of people in that fort because they're going to build another fort. They're going to be called on to build a fort in Canada and in the nations of the earth that families can be safe in. And you're going to be reminding them like, wow, I see it in you. You're so strong and you're so brave and you're, and, and, you know, I think this is what, so the fruit of it, you know, years later and my kids are, they're building the kingdom of God. 
because I, I took time with them. I took as I took all the time I, and I had a, a revelation about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that everything you do is three generational. And if you're thinking uni generational, if you're thinking one generational, you're thinking way too small. If you're thinking me and God and my destiny, like what my ministry, it's way too small. And I, I believe God wants yeah. to be multi-generational and the joy of it. You know, I'm listening to my children talk and preach and play music and everything they do reminds me of my heart. I'm just going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. It's like there's eight of me out there. Like Lisa, there's the devil lied to Lisa. Like, oh, you don't have a life. You're a mom with eight kids. You don't have a life for yourself. What about your own life? Well, the joke's on the devil because she has her own life, plus she's living the life of every one of her kids. I mean, she's a she's a worship drummer through Luke, and she's a, she's going to Norway through James on a mission trip. And she's just had a baby through Molly and she's the youth pastors, you know, a wife of a youth pastor. And she's a, a, a business owners, you know, like seeing her daughter married to a business owner and starting a church in Manhattan and dreaming about a godly business in South Carolina. And through all our kids, she's living nine lives, her own life and eight mm -hmm. others. It's multiplied. Yeah. Yeah, and the devil wants to say, "Oh, you're reduced. It's reduced. You're, it's been stolen okay. from you." And kids are intuitive. You you find me one kid that can say to her is his or her parents, "Mom or Dad, will you please not serve the Lord so much?" How are they supposed to ever say that? They're never going to say that. They can't right. say that any more right. than a wife would say to her overworked husband trying to build his ministry. Is there any time for me, dear? She just stuffs it and stuffs it again and stuffs it again. And five years later, she finally said, it's me or the ministry you picked because I can't do this anymore. Because of neglect and the insecurity that we have in our own identity mm -hmm. spiritually, that we try to build something apart from our family or our children. And then... The kids aren't going to say that. They're not going to say, please don't serve the Lord so much. They're just going to resent whatever stole the heart of their parents away from them. And that's what's going to happen. But if they know that no matter what, that they were always the most important, no matter what, that said something to them. And that God, that God that was yeah. reminding those parents to love them, was was the kind of God that they wanted to serve. Right. That was yeah. the true God. Yeah. So, man. No, go ahead. Well, I just even as you as you say that, I think of times times where either I've had a bad attitude with the kids, or or I've had my, you know, a misaligned priority, mm -hmm. and the Holy Spirit will convict me. And then when I go and apologize to the kids, you know, and I'll say, mom, I said this wrong, or I did this wrong. And I was, I just felt like the Holy spirit told me to come and I need to apologize to you, you know? And I, it's like what you say, like in their eyes, it's, you can tell that they're like, Hmm, I kind of like that God, like he keeps <laughs> mom humble. Hey, like he, mm. 
I don't know. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it endears him. Well, to we them. asked the kids too. Right. Like we asked them what, because I didn't have any idea. I, I wanted to get an older version of like a back view, like their back view into us. Like what? What was it? Why do? Why are yeah. we serving right. God? And why are we hungry for the kingdom of God? Why are we not just ecclesiocentric, just church focused, but we're kingdom focused? That we're we have a heart for the kingdom. Part mm-hmm. of which is for the church because the church serves to usher in the kingdom of God on the earth. And so exactly what you said. Right. We asked right. Allison Bonnie, and she said, "You were always quick to repent and ask forgiveness when you were wrong." You practice what you preach. You weren't hypocritical. I think that is the, one of the biggest turnoffs to the church. God for young people is the hypocrisy in the church or in their parents. We didn't just go to church on Sunday and live otherwise yeah. or different the rest of the week. You did let us have honest questions about the church. You didn't pretend that the church was perfect, but at the same time, you never bashed the church in front of us. So that's what Al said. Beautiful. Wow. She's your Almost oldest. 40, How old is she now? With six children. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. I've she's a, a bit of a friend. Yeah, her. she's like a yeah. fiery online prophet. You know, I mean, she like the embodiment yeah. of my heart in a woman. It's like the craziest thing. Look, it's Jim in a girl's body. You know, it's like Allison. It's just and those eyes that can look right. right through you. Look what here's what Julie said. Yeah, totally. Oh, yeah. Huh? Quiet time. I always remember you and mom having quiet times every morning. I remember coming out of my room and seeing mom on the couch praying and reading her Bible, and you on your bed reading your Bible, or coming or going from your walk. I guess without knowing it, imprinted upon me the importance of that in my mind from a young age. Oh, another thing that stands out mm-hmm. to me is how we always shared around the dinner table about our days, what we were reading in the word, what the Lord was speaking to us, and verses, memorizing the verses as kids, especially when you traveled and we recorded the tape so we wouldn't miss doing them when you were gone. I I, I did the verses on a, on a cassette <laughs> recording, and so I would read them. I would read them at night oh, man. and put them on because I would, used to go in there and, and do them with them at night too. So amazing james said your actions always obeying god being faithful and going and going on and you said oh being faithful and going on your prayer walk every morning <laughs> and mom having her daily quiet times lisa when the kids were little it was really crazy it's just like can you imagine when like five or six kids and there's like you've got six you know i see eight Six, four, two, and newborn. Eight, six, four, two, newborn. You can relate. Yeah. Let's see. Eight, six, they're sort of functional, but four, two, and newborn. Those are like, and she just would sit down with a Bible and reach into a bag, the, the box of Cheerios, and throw it like bird seed on the car, on the carpet. She'd just throw <laughs> it out like, like bird seed on the carpet and kept reading her Bible. She just dipped in. It's manna. The it's the morning. The it's the out. morning. Kind of, kind of eat it like little birds, you know, like literally, like give me another minute here. Oh, man. And 
And the rest of the time, her heart is given to them all day long. She's there all day. I'd say on your worst day, Lisa, you're with them all day long. Yeah. Think about it. All day long, you're saying you're important. All day long, you're saying I'm there for you. On your worst day, when your temper is short and when you feel ugly and you've been short with them. And guess what? You're there all day long with them, creating security. Yeah. Oh, okay, Rachel, she goes, So amazing. Uh, the thing I remember was the family worship times where you let us pick out the worship CD and we would read the Bible together. Reading the Bible around the table, making hand motions and having you explain every verse. <laughs> Going to church regularly and consistently, obviously, and seeing mom read her Bible and praying every morning and then you going on the prayer walk every morning. Those things set an example that God could breathe upon in each of us, kids, in our own seasons, in our own wow. times, when he awakened us to himself. And we couldn't do it mm. for them. It wasn't like, well, I better do this for them. That is, that's, that doesn't do it. it. It had to be, we're doing this, and if no one sees us, yeah. It doesn't matter because we're doing this for the Lord. Now, we happen to have a lot of eyeballs on us. Yeah. But it wasn't for the kids <laughs> who did that. We, that's, and they, they could sense that. Yeah. And there's, and sometimes we take parents, we're going to go to church for the kids. You need to go to church for yourself and have a place where you can mm. really, where you're really growing yeah. and you're engaged. So the kids sense mom and dad are excited and there's something being demanded of them. And there's a response in their heart to the Lord through this community that keeps them alive and fresh and they aren't just yeah. going to go. And they see that and that's yeah. attractive yeah, yeah, to them. Yeah. So that modeling has to be, yeah. have some kind of context to it. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, just as I'm listening to you, it's, you know, it can be so, um, as a parent, it's like, wow, we need to be doing these high flying things like these super, like, like, even like you said before, like, give me something that's a little bit more, more intricate or more, um, more, more complicated, right? Like it's gotta be a little bit, it's gotta be more complicated that it's like you, you loved God with all your heart. You were, you were pursuing God in your own life. Like, cause that, that's something that everybody said, right? They saw you, they saw you pursuing God for your own heart. You going to God with your own, your own stuff, being quick to repent, you know, doing things as a family, gathering spiritually together as a family around the word of God, having you know, just a safe place for, and it's like, that's, we can all do that. You know what I mean? Like, that's, hmm. that's not, that's not something complicated. That's not something like has to be super high flying and flashy it's like Mm -hmm. you know but that's 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 the basics that that god breathes upon to you know to launch the next generation into his plans and purposes it's just so refreshing jim so refreshing and um we're gonna make sure we have uh, links to all your um to your website and all into your book as well unmasked which is just a real powerful book um Mm -hmm. Uh, we're gonna make sure we have that all in the the notes for you. But thank you so much for doing this, and we will have to do this again. This has been long overdue, and uh, we'll have to do it again here for sure. 
Absolutely. Yeah, it'll be fun. I think the Lord, it's fun to see the Lord show up. And mm -hmm. I, I sensed him visiting with us today. And yeah, it makes me grateful to him. Yeah, totally. Totally. Well, we love you so much, Jim. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Union Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. Please email us at podcast at theunionmovement.com. For more information, please visit our website, theunionmovement.com, or find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Union Movement.